0: you take your copy of God's Word and turn to John 9. I was thinking as Howard was talking about recharging one thing that will cause you not to recharge your batteries is if you put a four year old in the bed with you at night. Uh, which we did last night. And uh, I didn't know someone that small could take up so much of our bed. Uh, There's a nap in store for me this afternoon. John 9, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you today. That we come to your word in our charge, Lord. Charged to go, but recharged, Lord, to go as well. Father, I pray that you would uh, enlighten our hearts, enlighten our minds, open our eyes. To see what it is that you're saying to us today. And That Lord we would. Grab it and run with it. Into the dark world. That surrounds us. Father. Give me the words that are needed for those gathered here. As we make our prayer in Jesus name. Amen. John 9 is the concluding narrative of a section of scripture that encompasses John chapters 7 through 9 in which Jesus spends the vast majority of his time talking about light and darkness. It is in this section that we find Jesus declaring the second of the I Am statements when he asserts that he is the light of the world First in John eight twelve, And then again later in this morning's lesson in John 9, 5. John 9 is, a, is on its surface an account of Jesus bringing physical sight to a blind man. But the story is really a subplot in the larger narrative of a people who can physically see gaining sight. Now I recognize that what I just said sounds antithetical. But the truth of the matter is that all of us here today, whether we wish to acknowledge it or not, are in some sense blind people who can see. How so? Well, first, we are blinded by our own prejudices. Look with me at verses 1 through 2. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples assumed that just because this man was blind, that God was punishing him for something that either he or his parents had done. How absolutely foolish is that, we think, that God would do such a thing. And yet, how often do you and I fall prey to similar thinking? We will say, sometimes in hushed tones, sometimes quite loudly, well, they deserve what they got when we look at a particular situation. Or more pointedly, when we look at and we observe something, we see only the things that we want to see and negate the things that would draw us to conclusions that differ from the conclusions that we have already drawn. Francis Bacon put it this way, The human understanding, when it has once adopted an opinion, draws all things else to support and agree with it. And though there be a greater number and weight of instances to be found on the other side, yet these it either neglects or despises, or else by some distinction sets aside or rejects. Beloved, how often do we allow our blinding prejudices to color a situation? You know, one of my favorite things to watch is ESPN's 30 for 30. I love to watch them. And my favorite to watch, I know this is going to sound shocking for some of you, but my favorite one to watch, I can watch it at the drop of a pen, is the 30 for 30 called Survive and Advance. It is about the 1983 NC State National Basketball Championship team. There are a couple of things happen every time I watch it. Number one, I cry at the end. Don't matter. Don't matter if i watch watched the whole thing or I come in at the very end of it. At the end, I cry. Jim Valvano dies, I cry. Number two, you all may not realize this, but I don't really like Mike Krzyzewski. <laughs> and in the 30 for 30, Mike Krzyzewski comes across as a saint and i watch it and i think to myself (coughs) excuse me i think to myself this is just a load of malarkey he cannot be this nice a guy why i'm prejudiced right I have developed, I have extenuating circumstances. I mean, the man even showed up to Dean Smith's funeral, which I personally thought was an abomination. But he showed up to Dean Smith's funeral wearing a light blue tie and said that he told Dean Smith he loved him. And when I watched that happen one first first time, I said liar. I just said it right out loud. But yet there is evidence to prove that Mike Trishetsky is a good man. Clearly, he has compassion in his heart. And what do I say every time? It can't be true. Beloved, we laugh about this, but you and all fi- you also fall guilty to it on a host of different issues all the time. This is just some minor thing. In the instance of the Scripture this morning, the disciples have taken through their own prejudice any chance of the kingdom working in this man's life. They have negated any chance for God to do something. Their blindness has encumbered them from seeing the opportunity to help the blind man and that God not only could but would work in the situation. But you ask yourself, how could they know that God would work in the situation? Well, it appears... They were blinded by their own ignorance. Again, verse 2, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus says to the disciples, You just thought you understood what was going on here. You just thought you had knowledge about everything But see, you don't because you have said this is punishment and I have just told you this is so that the glory of God can be shown. Beloved, let me ask you something. How often is it that we find ourselves in the same position as the disciples? We think we understand something. We think we have all the relevant knowledge about a particular matter, but we really don't. Do we ever take the time to truly think through what it is that we really know and really understand or in our haste to respond to something, simply spout out our opinion as the disciples did? The disciples are saying that it is a popular opinion. That people who are blind have been, are so because of a punishment. And they show themselves to be ignorant. Beloved, wouldn't life be easier for all of us if we silenced our opinions and allowed ourselves to be guided by knowledge and facts than by Ignorance. Now, I know what you're saying. It's easy to dismiss ignorance from time to time, right? It's easy to to let ignorance go by because, well, you know, sometimes people haven't been exposed to the truth. They don't know better. You know, we will say that sometimes in our house with Scarlett. She doesn't know better. And so until she knows better, we have to teach her. And so we have to give her knowledge so that she'll know how to do something the right way the next time. And that's true. But sometimes we don't like to admit this. Our ignorance is willful. Notice for me verses 8 through 12. The neighbors and those who had seen, seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. There's a group present here in this text that refused to acknowledge that it is the man that was born blind. Did you notice that? Despite all of his protests, to the contrary, they say, no, it just looks like him. It can't be that guy. And he's like, dude, I'm the dude. And they go, no, you can't be that guy. Beloved, let me let you in on a secret. Sometimes though we don't ever wish to admit it, reality stinks. It does. I don't like reality, but it stinks. Guess what? I am told we have a basketball team in Chapel Hill. (laughs) Reality stinks. As does the basketball team. Now, I could go sitting through the rest of this basketball season and think, oh, we've got the greatest team ever. But refusing to acknowledge that reality stinks will put me in a pretty untenable position, don't you think? Reality, beloved, will prevail. Understand that. We can sit all day long and say it can't happen because we choose not to be in reality. We choose by our own willful ignorance to be blind to something. But, beloved, reality will prevail. And we should understand that when we through our own willful ignorance, refuse to acknowledge reality, as these people are doing in the text, we are running contrary to Jesus. Because remember that Jesus is what? The truth. Jesus is the truth. He is reality. And when we don't acknowledge reality... We're putting ourselves up against him. Beloved, are you blinded this morning by willful ignorance? Now, as we enter into verses 13 and 18, the narrative shifts. We would think because we have the arrival of those great bastions of righteousness, people whom we would think to be defenders of the truth, the Pharisees. And yet the text points out that they are guilty of being blinded in the same ways as everyone else. Look at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed, and I see Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Isn't it interesting? Some of them are blinded, by their prejudice that Jesus can't be from God because he is healed on the Sabbath. While some are blinded by their own unconscionable ignorance and their willful ignorance when they ask whether a sinner can do such a miracle or whether the blind man was actually born blind. Beloved, let me be clear. There is gargantuan danger when the religious community is blind to what's going on around them. It shows that they are either out of touch and therefore lack all relevancy to the greater community, where it means that they are eagerly maintaining a power structure that is bent to suppression and oppression, which we see repeatedly in the Gospel of John, the Pharisees doing, most notably two chapters later from now, when they will conspire to kill Jesus in John eleven eighteen 18, for eleven forty eight for fear of the Romans taking away their position because of Jesus. Either way, beloved, it means the people are being led astray or pushed away from the faith at the very moment they need it most. Let us always be vigilant to protect ourselves. From being cast aside from the larger community. For simply because we are visionless. At a time when we should be out front. Pointing the way ahead. Now I understand that being out front and pointing the way ahead. Is sometimes scary. It's downright Fearful for some of us, and hence we have yet another cause of blindness. Verses 18 through 23 The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered. We know this is our son and that he was born blind. But now he, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. He's of age, ask him. We're not going to take the fall for this. Why? Why? Because we don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. We don't want to lose our position. We don't want to lose our ability to worship. We, we, We want to make sure that everyone likes us. So we're not going to do anything that might change that. They knew the power of the Pharisees. And they didn't want to cross him. And in doing so, they were blinded by fear. From the tremendous blessing that they would have had by confessing Jesus as Christ. Beloved, you and I live in a world held hostage by fear. We are afraid of doing any number of things because of how it might turn out. We are afraid of living our lives faithfully sometimes because of how it might turn out. I've had people, I actually have had people tell me that they are afraid to tithe because they aren't sure how all of their finances will work out despite the fact that Malachi 3.10 says that if we bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that Jesus would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that we don't even have room to hold. Jesus, they are afraid to be a witness to their faith, despite the fact that Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And what? I am with you. Now, beloved, to me, both of those instances mean that all of heaven is at our disposal when we faithfully do what God is calling us to do. All of heaven. And that means that we should not have fear. Because I like those odds, don't you? I like those odds. I've seen God work before. I've seen God do any number of things that I can't explain. I've seen God in the scriptures bring the dead back to life. And you say to me, but Pastor Mark, that's in the scriptures. Well, granted, I haven't ever seen the dead brought back to life in my own life personally, except maybe that one time. But that's a whole other thing for another day. He could have just had a bad dose of cold medicine. But I have seen God heal people from miracles that Didn't have any chance of being healed. I've seen God operate in my own life. And you say all that is minor. No beloved. When God moves and God works. As he has done in the text with his blind man. We should never be fearful. Plain and simple. We should never let fear blind us to what it is that God is calling us to do. We should say if God is for us. As Paul said to the church at Rome, who can be against us? And we should go boldly and proclaim what it is that God is telling us to proclaim. And boldly do what it is that God is telling us to do. The blind man gets this. Because in the next verses, verses 24 through 34, he takes on the Pharisees. Notice. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give God, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen How do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. This man had gumption, right? Because he knew some unshakable facts. He knew he had been born blind. He knew he had been healed by Jesus. He knew what he had been taught about God. Probably from these very Pharisees. And yet what do the Pharisees do? They revile him. They abuse him. They speak ill of his birth. You were born in utter sin they say, and they cast him out. Why? Because they are blinded by their own hatred. They are blinded by their hatred of Jesus and what he was doing so they could see no good in anything that he ever did. Beloved, how often are you and I guilty of that? How often are you and I guilty of that? You say quite piously, Pastor Mark, I don't hate anyone because hate is such a very strong word. But let's be honest. Somewhere deep down inside, you and I are always flavored in how we see the world by what we don't like about someone else. And so we can't ever get past it. In our society today, we are such a polarized society that very often when I watch the news, I find that according to those that are put on television or according to what I read on Facebook, that because someone is a Republican, therefore they must hate a Democrat. And because they're a Democrat, therefore they must hate a Republican. And that neither side can do good. There's a theological word for that, beloved. Poppycock. Beloved, don't be blind by hatred. Don't be blind by hatred. Hatred will cause you to miss the blessing of God. Hatred will cause you, no matter even if you don't want to label it hatred, it will cause you to miss the greatest experiences you've ever had. About two and a half years ago, Liza and I had Scarlet by ourselves one Sunday afternoon. And we were at uh, the Dry Dock Seafood Restaurant in Siler City. But dock was, is always burnt out there, so it, the sign just simply says, Dry Seafood. And we were having Sunday lunch and we were with Scarlett and Scarlett and I were building towers out of the butter cartridges. And this woman comes past us and she turns around and she says, how old is she? And Eliza says, she's two. And the woman says, she's Gorgeous. And Eliza says, Thank you. And the woman says, We have a biracial granddaughter, but my husband won't let me go talk to them because of how he feels about biracial children. Let me tell you something, beloved. That's blind to the point of stupidity you say preacher you ought not say that but you know I did because you're missing a blessing an untold blessing and you say I don't hate anything like that beloved we're human every single one of us hates something to that degree we might not want to admit it but we do And we're blind. We're blind because of it. And Jesus says, we're guilty. And we need to confess our guilt. Notice verses 35 through 40. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who may see who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Beloved, can you imagine today how different the world would look to us all if we washed ourselves in the salve of grace? If we allow the bright light of God's mercy and love to burn the cataracts of blindness from our very sighted eyes, which are visionless. That we may see truthfully. That we may know fully. That we may see and view the world as God sees it. As God sees that person we don't like. As God sees that situation we cannot bear. You know, beloved, this blind man went off and did all sorts of things... Only when we have been brought to sight by the Savior can we dare to run unencumbered into the world spreading the good news of God's love and grace just as the blind man did when he asked the Pharisees if they would like to be the disciples of Jesus. That's running with reckless abandon. Last night I went to the office and I got something and, and Eliza had moved a hamper that was in the hall and I didn't know it. And she moved the hamper and, and the way it was when I came out of the office I could go around the hamper because there was a light on. But when I cut the light off in the bathroom, which was my second stop, and I came out into the dark, guess what happened? I had head on with that that hamper. Had to get real close to Jesus real fast. Guess what I had on? Had my glasses on. I could see fully, but there was no light. And so I had sighted eyes with no light. So, you know what I did? First, I turned the light on, and then I moved the hamper, and then I said, I'm just going to leave the light on. Beloved, have you been blinded by the light today? That's the only blindness that a child of God should have blinded by his love, blinded by his mercy, blinded by his grace to be able to see. Let us not leave this place today blinded by anything else than by the love of God. Let's pray.